0: Good morning, good morning, and welcome everyone here in the auditorium and everyone in the venue and all those watching online at carneefree.com. my name is Adrian and it's great to be with you today on this beautiful glorious morning, isn't it awesome, great great Sunday to be together, you hold on for just a moment while I go get the microphone, just stay where you are. You stayed, good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, on, on stage with me right now are Todd and Lori Smith, and uh, I'm so grateful for, for this wonderful couple. Uh, Todd and Lori have been attending E Free for about two, two and a half years, and uh, they have great family. And they came to me probably six, seven months ago sharing their marriage story with uh, some of its ups and downs, and basically the way they came to me was um, we, we hope and we pray that our story could be used by God in someone's life and uh, if it could be used in any of the ministries wonderful and I said wow this is uh, really good timing I'd gotten to know the other this, these guys already a little bit and I said this is really really good timing because we're, we're coming up here to a marriage series, little mini marriage series anyway well within 1 Corinthians 7 and, um, and so we had a number of conversations and by God's grace, I think we've had uh, a couple stories back to back now. One last week from Dwayne and Gwen, and this morning uh, an opportunity to hear from Todd and Lori, who are related to their stories. So uh, here's, here's the mic for whoever's going to start first. Uh, w- would you mind uh, just starting off, Todd and Lori, by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself? Tell us about your families and, and what you do for a living.
1: Okay, I am a teacher in Sumner at SCM. Um, I've been teaching for 27 years. Um, we have three children, Brayden, Parker, and Josie, and they're all here. Um, and kind of how I, God tugged on my heart to share more is I was awarded National Teacher of the Year for Rural Schools and was on stage and telling only a part of my story. And God kept tugging on my heart and tugging on my heart, so I started tugging on Todd's heart. So <laughs> here we are, but I'll let him tell a little bit about himself.
2: Um. Okay. I'm an uh, outside salesman for a ag uh, manufacturer in Minden, and uh, <clears throat> not as quite <laughs> good on stage as she is. She's she's grown to be pretty good on stage. So um, sharing today was kind of tough for me to, to open up, but I think it's essential to help somebody else, hopefully, and that, that's kind of why I'm doing it.
1: And I did forget that we've been married in August of this year, 28 years. <laughs> 28,
0: 28 years. Wonderful. Yeah.
1: Oh.
0: And they don't even know your story yet. <laughs> You're really going to clap in a few minutes. <laughs> so you were really vulnerable with me in sharing a bit of your story um, six, seven months ago when we met. Would you share a little bit of like the rough patches, though, that you went through that uh, really threatened... Um, the union that you had agreed to 28 years ago?
1: Yeah. So, um, 20 years ago, just this May, um, I was teaching first grade out in chapel and thought I had it all figured out as a teacher, <clears throat> mom, wife, and, um, it was a couple of days before the last day of school and I was sitting outside with, um, one of my first graders that I was going to keep and, um, her mother was like picking her up and, um, I was sitting there and she was doing what first graders do You're, some of you have six and seven year olds and they talk in your ear and talk in your ear and talk in your ear and this little gal was no different and she was sitting there and I kept looking at my watch and I was like okay it's 15 minutes mom's not here yet and I had two little ones at the time jo- we didn't have Josie yet and I was like okay now you have to go get him from daycare and it's into the, the year and if you teachers out there know exactly what I'm talking about like I have a lot going on and I need to be doing this and that and her mom comes up um in an RV and I walked to the door because I was meeting with mom and dad the next day to discuss just how we were going to keep her and what we were going to do next year. And um, as I walked her around the RV and I put her in the door and I shut the door and I walked back around and I said to mom, um, meeting tomorrow? Yes. So I go back in the school, maybe five minutes changes in time. And I walk out and I hear sirens and chapel is right on the interstate of I-80 and so there was nothing you know it's the interstate so I walk to my car and um, see some smoke in the distance and um, I go home and I get a phone call from my teacher's aide who's in high school and she said Mrs. Smith Mrs. Smith I'm not going to use her name but Mrs. Smith Mrs. Smith she's been in a fire and an RV crash and I was like what no she's fine I'm sure it's fine I'm sure it's fine Well, so my heart tugs a little more, so I call Todd, and he doesn't answer, because he's an EMT. Doesn't answer, doesn't answer, doesn't answer. And he finally answers, and all he says to me is, we'll talk when I get home. So I knew what that meant. Um, So I had spent the last eight hours, the last ten minutes of a six-year-old's life with her, worried about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, She did not survive the fire. I went back to school the next day and cleaned out a desk and cleaned out a locker rather than cleaning up my room so that's my part of the story and i'll let todd share his part now
2: yeah i mean we rolled up on that scene and there's five dead children in rv and that kind of tends to affect you uh for a long time and that our marriage at the time wasn't perfect but when that happened it um It put a wall between us, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Is it kind of isolated each of us because we didn't know how to deal with each other? Um, It's tough to talk that situation with each other, so we just kind of went our own separate ways. And that's kind of where this fracture and this story started was with that fire. Um, A horrible event, and uh, it's with us forever.
1: And I would say, um, like I've shared with a- Adrienne, um, God was in our marriage, but God was in our marriage on Sundays. We, um, you hear at marriage ceremonies a lot, three chords. We had two chords Monday through Saturday and a third chord on Sunday.
0: Thank you. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I got one. You've got, you've got I always have one. <laughs> so... Um, I mean, that, that's a fracture that neither of you is responsible for, but you're dealing with a huge trauma at that point, And you began to cope in different ways that were not necessarily healthy. Tell us just a little bit about that. Your relationship began to crack at this point.
1: Yeah, we just, I wanted to talk and of course, I wasn't there to see what he saw. And so he didn't want to talk. Um, so I turned to my friends, my family, um, my colleagues and um we just kind of built a wall between us just in this area we thought but it was in more than just that area um
2: I, I dealt with it by I'd had issues with drinking before but it really had started to accelerate and instead of confiding with her I started confiding to people who had been there and um which kind of led to the situation we're going to talk about today where um, you have to have somebody to talk to and if you can't share with your spouse, it's very difficult. But the drinking was probably the worst thing that happened to me is up to that point was I couldn't control it anymore. And once it got to that point, it was uh, beyond control.
1: So um, I had been out with a friend one day and came home and opened the computer and found some things on the computer um, that led to him revealing to me that he had had an affair with someone who had been on the ambulance crew. Um, God was gracious. God loved us before I even opened that computer because our kids were gone to my parents that weekend. So our kids saw none of the anger and heard none of the anger. Um, we, I left. My dad um, and my brother came out and picked me up um, because they live around Kearney and, um, they brought me back home. And another insight into the family that I grew up in is my dad didn't come in angry. He didn't come in angry. He came in and left some books, some Bible study books on our bed for Todd. He did not come in angry. So
2: um, one final note too, is I had, uh, no faith up to that point i was more agnostic and atheistic um more into philosophy than i was into into god and that didn't seem to help me much it just made me feel more empty inside and uh to experience the grace of my father-in-law doing that when he could have shot me um was yes he could have uh I'm forever grateful for that, because that was true grace. And I'd never experienced that before. Uh, so that was the first one of many little miracles in our story that happened um, by far.
1: And he actually, he actually took your guns that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He actually took the guns, so Todd wouldn't do anything. Um, another insight into God's grace and loving us before this even happened was, um, we had some good friends that lived in Lincoln. Um, some of you may know Aaron Davis. He's a speaker, a motivational speaker. And this is back, this is how old we are, before cell phone. And um, Todd called Aaron, but I'll let him tell that story of how God loved him through that.
2: Are we on track here still? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. Um, We'll tell you that. Yeah. There's like four or five Aaron Davises in Lincoln, and I called my mom and told her to look up Aaron's number. And I knew if I didn't call him, I probably would die. Um, that's where I was. I was solo, And I had to make a choice at that point if I wanted to keep my relationship or die. And I called Aaron. Luckily, he was home. Luckily, the number we called was his number. And he talked me down, and he told me to uh, do some reading in the Bible. And I hadn't really cracked open a Bible in a few years meaningfully. And he had me crack open Psalms 51 and just told me to keep reading it.
0: And you pretty much... Read that chapter again and again until you fell asleep, right? Yeah. yeah. So no knowledge of the Bible, really, but a friend says, hey, read Psalm 51 over and over and over again until you fall asleep. Yeah. 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 So I know after that, you submitted to counseling, Todd. You, you gave yourself to counseling, and you guys are separated for, for a while here. What, what helped move you toward reconciliation?
1: Um, We counseled separately for quite a while um, with Pastor Stan, who married us, Um, and then he had us counsel together, and we did what was called a truth table, and I went one day and Todd told me everything that he and Stan had deemed I needed to know to save our marriage, and when we left that day, my sister um, brought me to counseling every Saturday. And when we left that day, I remember we were on the street between Walmart and the mall, and Todd was walking into the mall, and I looked at my sister and I said, I'm just going to do this. My kids, I don't want my kids raised in a broken family, and I will never forget my sister looking at me and saying, you have to do this for yourself, because your kids will know that you don't love each other. And then your kids will model that marriage, and they will get in marriages where they don't love their spouse the way God wants them to love them
2: i my voice sounds so deep on a microphone. Um, I counseled with Pastor Stan. I drove from chapel every Wednesday to counsel with him, and it was uh, and I went to a men's group of fellow recovering folks from all kinds of different situations, and those guys became they can't be me and my brothers. there might be a few here today i'm not sure but Uh, I met with them I I received Christ for the first time in my life and uh, had some huge things happen with that Uh, I quit drinking I went around my farm and dumped out every bottle of Jim Beam I had hidden which I found five or six that I didn't really think I had that many but uh, I just had to totally cleanse myself of that part of my life if I wanted to carry on And I had to choose, regardless of the situation, what was going to happen, uh, to be a better man. Regardless if I was going to get my wife back or not, or get my kids back, I had to choose to be better. And it took that men's group and Pastor Stan and not drinking
0: to do that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your courage. I would imagine in a room this size, maybe the venue, those watching online, there's probably one or two families here, couples here, who are saying... I don't know if it's worth it. Um, thinking about giving up, what advice would you give them? If you just have a word or two of advice, what would you give?
1: Yeah, when you look at Todd you can say, wow, that's all his fault. But what, I will never forget the day that Pastor Stan looked at me and said, now we're going to talk about what you did to crack this marriage. And as he started talking, um, I was like, oh, yep, I did that. And, yep, I did that. I was a naggy wife. I would turn to my friends and family to get advice and talk before him i put them before todd and so i needed to fix some stuff in myself before i could we could fix us
2: i thought of something i was going to say and i didn't can't think of it but um for me it was the continuation of not drinking which has lasted 15 years and thanks um I would say and that's if you're in that situation and you are drinking that uh taking removing alcohol that situation is probably a good place to start because there's nothing really good that comes from having that in a volatile relationship and i'm that's one thing i'm so glad about that i've done um and uh to have some accountability i had that group of men that i'm still accountable to and I think every man in a marriage has to have three or four guys you can trust trust in, and I continue to keep that. So,
0: thank you so much. Anything else you'd like to share?
1: No. I don't, it's yeah. worth it to work hard. Yeah, <laughs> we can talk it's, worth, all day. It it's hard. worth it to work hard. And hey,
0: we we are so grateful for your courage to share. Your, your kids are here. You've shared your story with your kids. Uh, God has brought you back together, brought your family back together. We give him praise for the way he's brought you back together and for what he's done in your family. And uh, as I said last week, it's not easy to sit up here on stage and share a story like this where each person owns something. So thank you again for being willing to share a bit with us. Todd and Lori will be available right after the service over here if you'd like to visit with them. Uh, as we mentioned last week, Dwayne and Gwen are available. We hope to increasingly create a community here Carney, e free where it's okay not to be okay where we're all in process and we don't need to pretend to be all put together and we need each other so thank you for being available and um and offering what what you've learned from your experiences to those who are struggling today hey todd would you mind praying and and we'll jump into this morning's message thank you
2: dear lord i just thank you for the grace you've shown in our Uh, marriage and in our family for this story to play out Mm. the way it has and my prayer today is just that if our story can help somebody either today or in the future that that's what that's why we're sharing today it wasn't because of us it's because of uh, helping others and we don't think god had us live through this without using it for his good Mm. and i just pray that uh, god you watch over all of us today and are with us
0: and Amen. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Appreciate you sharing. Thank you, guys. Yep. Thanks, brother. Well, I am so very grateful for Todd and Lori sharing their story, and I hope that was encouraging to you, as it's been really inspiring to me to reflect upon that over these past six or seven months since they originally did. Trust can be rebuilt. Say that with me. Trust can be rebuilt. I believe that with every fiber of my being that through hard work and prayer and humility, trust can be rebuilt. We saw that last week with Dwayne and Gwen. We saw it this week with Todd and Lori. Some of you have begun the process of rebuilding trust in your marriage or in some other vital relationship that you have right now through what we talked about last week You might remember if you were here, the close of the message, the application was this. You would turn to your spouse and you would ask your spouse, what can I do to build trust in our marriage? And then you sit and you quietly receive. That can be applied to a parent-child relationship. That can be applied to a sibling relationship. That can be applied to a friendship. And many of you did that last week. Well done. Well done, keep that up. Because trust can be rebuilt. Friends, if you think hard enough, I guarantee you you can think of a sibling relationship or a friendship where trust was lost. And then through hard work, humility, and prayer, it was rebuilt. And when that happens... It reaches something very, very deep inside of us. We see it and we, like we stand in awe when it happens. It's so beautiful. And God is praised well when that happens. We realize when we see it, oh, that is good. And that's something God would want. That's something God would be pleased by is the reconciliation of our most vital relationships. This is our third week here today in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And 1 Corinthians chapter seven is about uh, singleness and marriage and divorce and remarriage and sex and widowhood and all of that. Okay, the Apostle Paul has this supersized brain. And somehow he's able to like hold all of those concepts together in one chapter maybe two or three pages of text and then he kind of wraps them up and puts a bow on them and explains how they all relate together. And uh, he does that all at once in those six or seven different topics in, uh, in chapter seven of 1 Corinthians. Uh, you, you might go back and study this chapter more after we move on from it after the, this Sunday. Um, I have a more small-sized brain, so I haven't been able to hold all of those different concepts together these past few weeks. And I recognize we're leaving a lot on the table as we move from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 after today. But last week, what we talked about was the intentional building of trust through prayer, through sexual faithfulness, and through humility. Today, we're talking about when trust is broken, as Todd and Lori experienced. When trust is broken, why even try? Why even try? It's just so hard. It's gut-wrenching to have to rebuild trust with someone that, that you've lost trust. Why even try? Like inevitably, trust will be broken. Amen? It will. Whether it be something really severe like we heard about this morning or vast communication differences between a couple or pride or anger or financial mismanagement or laziness by one party any of those things will rupture trust in a marriage will they not and given decades together we're going to break each other's trust okay it's going to happen like humans fail and so we have to learn to forgive and we have to learn to rebuild Now, some breaks are worse than others, to be sure, but I would contend that if you really commit yourself to the Christian view of marriage, most breakages can be rebuilt. Trust can be rebuilt in almost every case, maybe not every, but most cases, if a couple commits themselves to to this. Christian marriage is this. It's the promise, as we noted last week, it's the promise, I give myself to you And you give yourself to me, and together we're giving ourselves to God for life. Okay, so yes, I'm giving myself to you, but even more than that, I give myself to God for life. And with that as our basis, trust can be rebuilt because we have this covenant, this promise that we enter into. It's really a little bit like farming. Like, if you want to reap a great harvest in in farming, of course you have to do all of the hard work of sowing in the spring, right? Right? And farming requires an annual effort. It's year after year after year of hard work, of plotting, of of tilling the soil, and on and on if you want to reap a harvest. And so it is. If you want to reap a harvest in marriage, it's year after year hard work. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7. Right now, if you haven't already done, done so, and uh, as we do, as we turn to First Corinthians seven, I just want to note that uh, the Apostle Paul here is um, he, he's going to to reference divorce, and I'm not going to speak specifically about divorce here. I'm, I'm going to talk about it a little bit, um, but I, I know that anytime divorce comes up in the Scriptures, anytime we begin to talk about it here on Sunday morning, there's always people in the audience. Who have, who have been hurt badly by divorce. And, and please hear that I will be sensitive to that, okay? I want to treat that with a level of tenderness and mercy. I don't want to treat it as the unforgivable sin because I don't believe that's what it is. I know some, some have taught that. I don't believe that. But we want to deal with it as the Bible speaks about it. If you were to come to me, I would treat you with mercy and with grace and I would grieve with you but because I know that that a divorce I'm told anyway a divorce cut can be worse in terms of grief than the death of a loved one and for those who are here today and maybe you're divorced and you're remarried we understand that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube we get that but we do want to operate with truth and with love And with a commitment to God's standards from today, amen? All you can do is say, what are God's standards for me today? And how do I operate with commitment to truth and to love with those starting today? Because the sanctity of marriage is something that the Bible speaks very strongly about. And no matter what happens in America relative to marriage... It's not something that we can duck. We take it seriously as the Bible speaks seriously about it. Bible-believing Christians need to do the same. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 16 say this. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, Paul says. This isn't my command, this is the Lord's command. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband... Whether you will save your wife. What a great example. We already saw of that, right? How do you know, Lori, whether you might save Todd? And God used Lori to bring Todd to faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Okay, like These things happen that we're talking about here. Now, Paul starts out this section of Scripture by saying, this is not my command, this is the Lord's command. It's the Lord's command not to divorce your wife. It's the Lord's command not to divorce your husband. Well, where do we get that? We get that from Jesus. He's speaking of his Lord Jesus, who he witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus turned over Paul's life, and so now he's referencing back to the words that he's been taught about Jesus when Jesus teaches in Matthew 19 or Mark chapter 10 on this subject matter. So Matthew 19, verses three through nine. You'll see these on the screen if you're not there right now. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Okay, there was a leading rabbi of the day in the Jewish world who believed it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason, including burning his toast. Ouch. Ouch okay, (laughs) to say nothing of the woman. But a man was allowed to divorce his wife, according to this rabbi, for any and every reason, including burning his food. And uh, Jesus replies, "'Haven't you read,' he replied, "'that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, "'and he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother "'and be united to his wife, he will cleave to his wife, "'and the two will become one flesh.'" So they they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were so hard. But it was not that way from the beginning. In other words, that's not God's original intent. You go back to, to the beginning that he just quoted from Genesis chapter 2. That wasn't God's original intent. I tell you, Jesus says, let me tell you what the way it should be. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now again, what Jesus is doing here is... I'm taught before on a number of occasions he's given this basic marriage blueprint that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife she'll leave her father and mother and cleave to her husband and then they become one flesh and this basic blueprint is the starting point for marriage now divorce was very common in the roman world of the day women were regularly discarded by their roman or greek husbands it happened all the time now, women didn't have that same right to, to divorce their husbands, but a woman oftentimes what well, was discarded by, by their husband. The Apostle Paul pushes against that in the passage we looked at last week, when he elevates marriage for the woman. Everybody is equal as marriage for the man. That it's now a symmetrical relationship but between husband and wife. That the marriage is made for her enjoyment as much as it is for his enjoyment. But that was the the, the custom of the day. And likewise, Jesus is refuting this rabbi of the day that said you could divorce your wife for any and every reason. Jesus explains that God would permit divorce when there was sexual immorality. That's what he says here. Now why would God permit divorce there? It's because this part of the blueprint, that the two become one, they become one flesh, is severed when there's sexual infidelity. Now, he doesn't command that a divorce would happen there, but he permits it in that case. Okay, the word for two becoming one is duvok, and duvok is glue. So when you come together on your wedding day, it's glue, you're glued together, and sexual immorality breaks that, Jesus says. Likewise, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul adds to that in verse 15. He says, if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother and sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to peace. So what he's saying here is that you might be in a marriage relationship and one person leaves the other one. And the person who leaves, they just abandon ship. And they say, I'm done. I'm not working on it. Forget about it. You're on your own. They move to another state or whatever. And this person over here is just left holding the bag. And Paul says, well, what do you do with that? You can be at peace. Okay, there's nothing you can do about it. You've been abandoned. And the word for abandon there is referencing that other part of the marriage blueprint. You can't leave all others and cleave to one another if you abandon someone, right? So you're just speaking in a very logical way here. There's a rupturing of the blueprint if there's abandonment. Now, I think in addition to these two reasons that that the Bible clearly permits for abuse, abandonment, and sexual infidelity. It seems to me, and it seems to our elders here at E Free, that like issues of abuse, issues of physical abuse would probably also rise to that level, because you can't leave and cleave if you're hurting someone, right? If you're abusing someone, you can't cleave to that person and I think that would be against the character of Jesus in such a destructive way that it would likewise rupture the marriage blueprint. But the thing that I want you to notice from these two passages and frankly from all the other passages where the Bible speaks about divorce, please notice this is the Bible expects all the different authors of the Bible expect the divorce would be extremely rare extremely rare and I recognize that kind of lands with a thud to us in our American culture of no fault divorce but I want to tell you in humility friends that the reason it lands with such a thud for us is not because the Bible has changed but because America has changed The reason it lands with such a thud for us is because Hollywood-style self-fulfillment has slithered its ways into the pews of the American church. The, The way the Bible describes marriage is equal to God's description of his covenant with us. So as God makes a covenant with us that he would never leave us or forsake us, the same language is used that a husband and a wife would make a covenant with each other. That through thick and thin, they would never leave each other or forsake each other. Now again, this doesn't mean that there's not forgiveness. If this has been your experience in the past, you have to start far from where you are right now. But what I'm doing right now is simply teaching what the Bible says that we'd say far from this day. And as I teach myself, and as I teach my kids, and those that I mentor, uh, here's why it's a big deal to God. I love the way theologian Stanley Hauerwas puts it. He says, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment, necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and that if we look closely enough, we will find the just right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate that we always marry the wrong person. I'm glad I'm not hearing any amens right now. We never know whom we marry, we just think that we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and she will change. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. That's the primary problem. Learning to love and live with and appreciate the stranger to whom you find yourself married. I know that when Susie and I got married, she was like, I don't know you. I mean, like, you're way different than I thought you were. I thought I was getting something way better than I got. (laughs) You know, like, you just realize pretty quick, this is a new ball game. Now, there really are the wrong people to marry, okay? You can think of someone, that would be the wrong person. Ladies, don't marry a ding-dong, okay? And men, there are some women you don't want to marry, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But what Harawas is saying so wisely here is none of us are really compatible. Truly, none of us are actually completely compatible, And no other person is made to complete you. It's only Jesus that's made to complete you. And in fact, the fuel that we as humans are made to run on is Jesus Christ himself. And if you're looking for someone else to fill a void in your heart, you will never be satisfied. Now friends, even if we are actively running on the fuel of God's love, I know there will be a day as there has been fought for me, as there has been fought for Susie, as there will be for all of us, that marriage is just lonely. Okay? And there will be a day when it feels like trust has been broken in some way from poor communication or poor conflict resolution or pride or laziness or whatever it might be. And so when that occurs, why would you fight? That's what I want to take my next 10 minutes to talk about (laughs) When that occurs, why would you fight? Why not just throw in the towel? Why do the hard work that it takes to rebuild trust? Let let me give you three reasons why I believe it's worth fighting underneath that commitment, that covenant of marriage that we as, as Christians enter into. Here's the first one. Just understand this. The nature of love is hard work. You commit to fighting because... When you stood on stage and you looked each other in the eyes and you said, I do, you signed up for hard work. The nature of love is hard work. Love is more of a verb than it is a noun. It's more of an action than it is an emotion. And so, when we commit on our wedding day that I am for you forever, we are saying yes to hard work. Just think of the famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. Like think of some of the descriptions that are given for us there. Love is patient, love is kind. Is that easy? Come on, somebody. That ain't easy. It's hard to be patient, it's hard to be kind. You have to lean into Jesus every day, ask for his help such that you would be patient and kind. Love always protects, is that work? Love keeps no record of wrongs, is that work? It's work to keep no record of wrongs. To say, I'm going to choose to follow Elsa and let it go. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna let it go. Hey, isn't it a funny thing about relational record keepers? Have you noticed that they never keep track of their own record of wrongs? (laughs) Have you noticed that? Relational record keepers always keep track of other people's wrongs, but never seem to keep track of their own record of wrongs. Husbands and wives, listen, if you keep track of your spouse's mess-ups, that's really messed up. That's really messed up and it will not go well for you. All this really helps me to remember, like, what does Jesus want most for me? And what Jesus wants most for me is, is holiness. It's not my happiness. He wants me to enter into a deep union with Christ, to know him intimately, and out of that intimacy well with Jesus, to become more like Jesus, that's what he wants. He wants my holiness, and he wants your holiness as well. And so we should suspect, on the basis of what Jesus wants most, that the primary thing he's looking for in our marriages is not happiness, it's holiness. It's a self-giving, a giving of oneself to one other person for life, as you both give yourselves to God for life. Friends, I've just seen it dozens of times across my marriage that if you strive for happiness, I've worked with so many people in my marriage and in my ministry. If you strive for happiness, when you don't find happiness in your marriage, you'll start looking elsewhere. But if you strive for holiness, then you're saying this takes work and we both commit to this work And as we do so, we trust love and respect and joy will begin to follow for both of us. I I mean, I'm so impressed that Todd and Dwayne submitted themselves to counseling. That's the kind of man that I want to be. I want to be the kind of man that says, okay, now the junk has come to our house. And I'm responsible for plenty of it. And I will do the hard work that is necessary to get better. Here's a little rhyme that I learned from another pastor. When you are unsure what you should do, just ask what love would require of you. When you're unsure what you should do in your marriage, ask what love would require of you. Love takes work. Here's number two. Here's second reason I would encourage you to fight for your marriage. You fight for your marriage for the sake of the kids. You fight for your marriage for the sake of the kids. Yeah, first, as Lori said, you fight for your marriage for the sake of each other because that's where the first covenant is. But sometimes I hear people talk in like a trivial manner about divorce, like, well, it'd be better for the kids not to see us unhappy, and so we should just go our separate ways. No, you should work. (laughs) <laughs> you, you, you should really work to find like a level of, of holiness together and allow the kids to see how hard you're willing to work. Because the simple fact is children suffer terribly from divorce. And frequently patterns learned in divorce are passed on from one generation to the next generation. They don't have to be passed on, but frequently they are. 1 Corinthians 7 verses 12 through 14 says it this way. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Okay, I hear people sometimes say to me, well, my my wife is not a believer. My husband is not a believer. Paul speaks to that explicitly here. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through a believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. What he's talking about here is a non-Christian spouse can come in contact with the grace of the believing spouse's kingdom-oriented life. And so like if you have a non-believing spouse, the first thing to do is, is this, kindle a blaze for Jesus in your heart. That's the first thing to do. You're struggling in your marriage, the first thing to do is kindle a blaze for Jesus in your heart. And as you kindle a blaze for Jesus, what Paul is saying here is, those who are immediately around you will be infected by the warmth. The most frequent way that a child, for example, becomes holy, as Paul notes here, the most frequent way that a child becomes a follower of Christ is they're raised in a Christian home and day after day, year after year, they're infected by the beauty of a Christian family. That's the ordinary way. You see, parents are the primary faith trainers of their kids. And so kids are not born holy. Paul is not saying that. We have kids. We know that's not true. He's saying that if you kindle a blaze for Jesus in your heart and you both do so, it has an effect on those all around you, including your children. And primarily, that's the way kids come to the Lord. So working through my junk for the sake of my kids is a holy decision. Okay, that's Paul's idea here. That's the logic that he's leading us to. Again, Todd and Lori did this by bringing their areas of junk into the light. They even shared them with their kids and I love the fact that they did so even though they didn't have to and their kids got the benefit of seeing what genuine Christian apology and forgiveness looks like. Man, our kids need to see that. What what, like humility and apology and forgiveness looks like and then to, to build out of that, like it's so attractive when people live that way. It's so courageous when people with all different kinds of faults and weaknesses choose to live that way and invite their kids in with that. So, friends, we 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 work to rebuild trust by committing to the fact that it's just hard work. That's the nature of love. And we do it oftentimes for for the sake of our children. We do it for each other too, but we do it for our kids. Now I would say we, we really want to work, even though it's difficult, to rebuild trust. Here's a third why. We do it because we want to tell a different story. Think of your life as a story. My guess is whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever your beliefs are today, whatever you think about faith or philosophy or religion or whatever else, my guess is I know this about you. When you're old and gray, you would like to be able to tell your story without having to skip over the really painful chapters. Right? I certainly would. You'd like to be able to tell your entire story Including the difficult parts, because you turn to God in the difficult chapters of your story. You know, a great story is not made up of perfect characters, is it? And a great story is not made up of all flatlands. A great story is made up of hills and valleys and characters who do good things and characters that make great mistakes but a great story is made up of characters who acknowledge their great mistakes and they're able to learn from them and grow from them and then perhaps bring others in and even teach others through those mistakes that they made. Deep down inside, I'm guessing that we'd all like to be able to tell a different kind of story than the typical me-centered American story. Friends, I, I wanna be open about the challenges that I've had in marriage. I wanna be open to my kids and I've had challenges. And I want to be open with the people that I mentor because I hope that they'll be able to learn from the challenges that I've had. And I hope that God would use them, that they wouldn't have to make the same mistakes that I've had. And so even though that's difficult, I find that that's worth it. I want to allow God to use the challenges that have been in my story, the different chapters that I wish would have been easier. My guess is, deep down inside, this is the legacy that we all want to leave. We worked really hard to rebuild trust in our most important relationships, and usually we were able to do so. Occasionally, as we worked really hard to rebuild trust, we weren't able to do so, but we gave it our all because we know that God really cares about relationships and he especially seems to care about marriage. And so we fought off the typical American ideal that I'm in this for my happiness, and we chose instead the biblical ideal that I'm in this for holiness. And together, as we did that, we rebuilt trust. Friends, wherever you're at today, I believe trust can be rebuilt. It'll take work. And it's a worthy effort for all of us. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help. It's so difficult in relationships when trust has been broken and we want to quit. We want to throw in the towel. And so we ask for your help. I pray, Lord, that you give us all the courage today to fight where you're leading us to fight. You would help us to go after our spouses and to rebuild trust in our marriages. I pray especially for those in attendance today who maybe are thinking about quitting, that perhaps they would reflect upon Todd and Lori's story and say, God, would you do something like that in my story? Would you please come in and heal broken places? Thank you, Lord, that at the end of the day, you're not just out for our happiness, you are desirous for our holiness. And so, Father, we give ourselves to you, we give our marriages to you, and we pray that you would have your way in us, that God may be praised. That God may be praised as you rebuild the broken places. Through Christ we ask.